Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today is a very important day in the entire history of maritime exploration, for it is the very day in 1519 that the Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan left Spain. Now, although he was Portuguese, it's important to know that he was sailing on a Spanish expedition in his search for a western route to the Spice Islands. These were the Molucas Islands in the southwestern Pacific, important because this is where nutmeg, mace and cloves were to be exclusively discovered. The 1494 Treaty of Tordesillas reserved for Portugal the eastern routes that went around Africa. It thus became essential for the Spanish to find a different route, a western route to those islands. What followed is both very well known and poorly understood. For centuries, Ferdinand Magellan has been celebrated as a hero, a noble adventurer who circumnavigated the globe in an extraordinary feat of human bravery. He was a paragon of daring and chivalry. But Magellan, in fact, did not attempt, much less accomplish, a journey around the globe. And in his own lifetime, the explorer was actually abhorred as a traitor. He was reviled as a tyrant and he was dismissed as a failure. His real ambitions were, in fact, focused less on circumnavigating the world or cornering the global spice market, as we have been led to believe, but more to do with exploiting Filipino gold. To find out more, I spoke to the brilliant historian who has made exactly this case, the fabulous Felipe Fernandez Armesto. He is so good that instead of mentioning his books, I shall just mention his prizes. Awards for work in maritime and imperial history include the World History Association Book Prize, Spain's Premio Nacional de Investigación Geográfica, the Caird Medal and the John Carter Brown Medal. He's a vice president of the Hackloyd Society. He occupies the William P. Reynolds Chair at the University of Notre Dame, where he is a Professor of History and concurrently of Classics, and of the History and Philosophy of Science. 
Those of you who are keen-eared will no doubt recognise Philippe's unique voice from a previous episode in which we discussed the challenges and rewards of maritime history. A fascinating episode that will give you a strong foundation if you have come to this podcast with little knowledge or experience of the maritime past. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is the remarkable Philippe. So, Magellan, why don't we start and with a, as straight a face as possible? Can you tell me what the myth of Magellan is? That he was the first circumnavigator of the world, which he wasn't. That he was the first to conceive the circumnavigation of the world, which he never did. That he was um, a kind of trailblazer of science and geography about which he knew absolutely nothing, um, uh, and that he was um, an exemplary you know, amongst all those evil colonialists and wicked explorers who imposed European culture on the rest of the world, um, that he was a kind of exemplary um, case, which is the absolute opposite of the, the truth. He was possibly even more bloody, ruthless and malevolent than your average conqueror and... Um, a spreader of um, well, white power around the world. Um, and I suppose perhaps the biggest myth of all is that he was, you know, tr tr tremendous, um, a tremendous success, that he achieved something wonderful. I mean, the absolute reverse is true. He failed in just about everything that he ever attempted do. And the amazing thing is you know, that he's he is a great hero, whereas all these other dead white male explorers execrated and reviled. Magellan has somehow, you know, escaped and he's, um, uh, and there are still, you know, just about everything you can imagine is named um, after him from, I don't know, spaceships and, and yachts and uh, down, right down to, you know, stuff that he had absolutely nothing to do with, like, you know, sort of um, scientific instruments and, and, and health remedies and I mean, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary that you know you wouldn't find another dead white explorer whose name seems to have so much positive resonance and what did he do to deserve it? Well pretty much nothing. I mean he, he wasn't of course you know totally um, evil. He had tremendous qualities of courage and Perseverance, perhaps you know, to a foolhardy degree, but kind of you know, nice guy, absolutely not. No. How did that? How did this all come about then? This sort of this mountain of misinformation. Well, I suppose it you know, all dates back to a period in which people loved heroes. You know, to a period in which um, heroism was the kind of object, really, of historical inquiry and of hagiography, and you were looking for these people who would be exemplary, who would be models to admire. And, um, you know, the facts that didn't fit tended to get sidelined <laughs> or, or overlooked. And of course, in the case of um, uh, Magellan, this really started tremendously early because the main chronicler of his his voyage, his sidekick, Antonio Pigafetta, 
absolutely adored him <laughs> and, and, um, uh, and made him the hero of tremendously successful account of the voyage, which almost monopolized people's intention for centuries. And, and he, you know, his role as someone after whom people name things, you know, from telescopes and stars and species and, uh, you know, uh, um, that all really starts uh, amazingly early. I mean, in the 17th century, he's already a sort of go-to guy for naming things that you think are of important scientific resonance. And of course, the, you know, the, the circumnavigation of the, the world was, in a sense, the outcome of the, the voyage that he launched, but he never intended to circumnavigate the world. He didn't circumnavigate the world after his death um, in the Philippines. His successors completed that, that voyage, but really more by luck than judgment. And, 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 and but, 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 but that, um, that sort of landmark moment gave him a sort of label that people could attach to him. So, you know, so Magellan became this uh, sinusure of um, people who worshipped you know, science and the advance of knowledge of the, of the world. What he did to contribute to that himself was like, you know, so many other great saints and heroes, um, pretty much zero. It's all stuff that other people attribute to him. Let's sort of take it back to what he was intending to do, and to kind of locate this voyage into the in the the history of the of the the, the East and the spice trade. Well, very controversial and very hard to pin this um, down because, of course, what he officially was commissioned to do was to approach the great spiceries of the Malaccas, the islands in the East that produced nutmeg and mace and, and cloves and were pretty much the world's only source of those tremendously valuable spices. And that was the official objective uh, of the, the voyage. And what was original about the project was that he was going to sail west in order to reach these islands at the extremity of the um, Orient. But that was the official brief, and as you know, Sam, very often explorers had something completely different in mind from what they were supposed to. Well, they get the money, you know, to do X, but what they really want to do is Y. And actually, the evidence, I think, is really overwhelming that Magellan wasn't intending to go there at all. <laughs> His own personal objective was to go to the Philippines, where the where rumor had it, and to some extent this was valid, there was an enormous amount of gold. What he really wanted wasn't spices, it was gold. And what he wanted to do was to create a thief for himself in the Philippines in the way that you know, other explorers had created thieves. You know, Columbus in the West Indies, Cortes, uh, who was a contemporary of Magellan's, and actually they, they, their voyages, West Coast, Cortes does something very similar in, in, um, in Mexico and creates a great sort of thief for himself. That's the sort of thing that Magellan was, was really after. Uh, and the, you know, the Philippines, the Spice Islands were a complete delusion because yeah, if he'd got there, he would have found that they were in the Portuguese zone of the world, according to the carve-up that the Pope had done between Spain and Portugal. Said he would never have been able to make any use of this um, discovery of a, um, a westward route to the Philippines, even if he had achieved it. 
Uh, yeah, the western route to the, the Spice Islands, even if he had uh, um, uh, achieved it. But, but, but he's, he's, his real objective is the, um, uh, is the Philippines. And, and all I think he was hoping to do was that he'd, he'd you know, make an immense fortune out of all this gold and, and possibly you know, rule a fief that was so far away from any other colonial administrator that he'd, he'd be pretty much free to do what he, he wanted. And the inspiration for this wasn't, you know, scientific, it wasn't geography. Uh, it didn't arise from any experience of, of navigation. Um, he knew very little about the, the sea. Um, it arose from his reading in chivalric romance. He was like so many explorers of the time, he was fixated on his own social advancement. Now, he'd, he'd come from a very minor noble family. He was orphaned very young. He'd been brought up at court. He was in the, you know, the bottom ranks of the Portuguese uh, nobility had no money. He was seeking a route of escape, a route of social ambition. He modelled himself on romances of, of chivalry. And that was what he was really after. He wanted to be, be a hero. He wanted to be like one of these storybook guys whom he, whom he read about and whom he alludes to in surviving fragments of um, what we know he said and, uh, and wrote. Uh, so really, in a way, you know, where he was going and what he was doing was secondary. The important thing was to arrive, you know, and to achieve this, um, this social ambition, which was by no means uncharacteristic of explorers and conquistadores of the, of the day. I think that you can, if you read their works, you can nearly always find at least some inspiration, some self-modeling on this tradition of the chivalric hero, the guy who... Usually he's a foundling, he's down on his luck, he's on his uppers, but by tremendous you know, virtue and prowess, he recovers his birthright and becomes a you know, great lord, king, ruler, prince, whatever. Do you think he was, having been brought up in the Portuguese court, was he, was he surprised by them rejecting his proposal for the, the original voyage? Well, um, he had history with the, um, with the king of... Of Portugal, he um, uh, uh, he his demands were always, you know, beyond what seemed reasonable given his background, his poverty, um, his lack of distinction, eminence, or experience. I mean, he graduates, as it were, from his education at the Portuguese court. Um, without any particular qualifications um, and without any academic merit. Um, he's in the squirearchy, you know, I mean, he's of he's nominally noble birth, but he, 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 in order to achieve nobility, he would have had to accomplish great deeds. And, you know, many of these sort of graduates of the court school, if you like to put it like that, did um, did achieve greatness. They they, you know, they did go off and commit great deeds of valor and so on. Uh, but McGowan never really made it. He he goes out to fight in 
uh, India and on the east coast of, uh, of Africa really as soon as he's graduated from his education at, at court. Uh, but he doesn't achieve any particular distinction. I mean, there are one or two stories about him which are, you know, possibly subsequent fabrications, back projections in order to try and explain his, his later ascent. But pretty much, you know, his, his record is, is very humble. And I think if you look at what he was really trying to do whilst he was out in the Indian Ocean, is he was really trying to make money. <laughs> And that was a failure as well, because you know, every, every time you invest in a cargo, some disaster overtakes it. Um, and so he, he then you know, returns to Portugal pretty much still with nothing, and yet goes and makes further demands on the king, who, you know, if I'm allowed to say this um, without besmirching your tape regard, the king's pretty pissed off with this. <laughs> and that's really the reason why he goes off and seeks uh, employment in, in Spain. He he's, feels he's not appreciated, Portugal can't get on there. He does make a little bit of um, money flogging horses that they Portuguese had captured in a, on a campaign in Morocco, but he never really, you know, breaks through into the the wealth and fame that he thought was his birthright uh, as a minor seer of the Portuguese nobility, and that's what makes him go off to Spain. He goes off to Spain to, if you like, to seek his his fortune, and he seems really to extemporise this plan of going and discovering a new route to the Spice Islands in a, you know, an effort to find some sort of project that he can, he can submit to the Spanish court that will justify their investing in him. Do you think us consumers of history out there have a, bear a responsibility for um, sort of wanting to believe, wanting to, to believe in this, this myth of greatness? Well, I don't think people want that anymore. I mean, I think that was a, um, you know, a, a habit of the 19th century, it's a sort of Carlylean, you know, search for heroes to worship. We seem to have lost that desire. On the contrary now, you know, we want them all to have feet of clay and we tear their statues down in what always seems to me to be an extremely um, unfeeling and often unthinking fashion. Uh, in a way, you know, I, I wish you were a little bit perhaps more susceptible to the notion of heroism or at least of of sanctity, we now seem, you know, just to, to, to if we if we feel any respect for for someone, we we start looking for reasons, you know, to replace it with obloquy. Um, so I don't think we really need that kind of hero worship um, anymore, and 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 that may be why it's now possible to look at these characters with a little bit more objectivity. Although, you know, I, I certainly don't advocate going to the the other um, extreme and tearing down their, their statues or reviling them for you know even worse things that they didn't do, which just seem to be what we mainly do, especially with these these poor old dead white explorers. Yeah. So I mean, we, we've heard all of these things that that Magellan didn't do. I mean, why 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 does his story remain important and relevant? Well, because he is the first person, as far as we know, to lead an expedition across the Pacific from, um, you know, east to west. Um, obviously, you know, people had explored parts of the Pacific in that direction before there are these, you know, sort of uh, controversies about Inca raft builders, you know, sailing out into the, um, 
into the Pacific, but pretty much all the explorations that we know about had happened in the other direction, and it's, it's essentially you know, Polynesian navigators um, sailing uh, into the south, um, southeast trade winds. And the, the reason they did that, of course, was I mean, you know, if, you, if you want to go somewhere, you sail into the wind, <laughs> because then at least you can go back. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if you sail with the wind, as McGillan did, the chances of your getting back are, are rather remote. So, you know, it's absolutely a very heroic endeavour. Um, in fact, possibly in a sense more heroic than, than people commonly suppose, because by the time McGillan got to the Pacific, his mission was effectively over. There was no chance by that stage of his uh, achieving, finding a profitable route to his supposed destination, which was the Spice Islands. I mean, that was simply out of the question. And he carried on, I think, in a, you know, that spirit of, of um, pig-headedness <laughs> and, you know, refusal to accept reality, which is very often characteristic of um, people who make breakthroughs in the history of exploration, because you have to be slightly potty, you know, <laughs> want to do these things in the first place. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quite counterintuitive, so often with maritime exploration, you have to go in completely the wrong direction to find the best winds, which will then take you, take you um, where you need to go. Yes, I certainly always maintain that that's the... Um, that that's the the case, you know, you, you really, unless you take what on the face of it is an unreasonable, irrational risk, you don't make the great breakthroughs in exploration, otherwise it's all done incrementally. And so McGillan's an exception to the sort of incremental history of exploration. This is a big single breakthrough. But it's a breakthrough that uh, he wasn't attempting to achieve and that he didn't get credit for in his time because uh, people refused to accept the truth that his voyage had revealed, which is that the Pacific is immensely, vastly um, wide and, in, in fact, effectively 
unethical as a means of communication between Europe and the and the Orient. That was that that it actually disproved the theory on which his voyage was based, but nobody really gave him uh, credit for that at the time. But I mean, that's certainly something which you can which you can lay to his his credit, although he did, didn't wasn't praised for it in his um, in his day or for a long time. Afterwards, and you know, I suppose that you know you do have to give him credit for certain qualities of character. I mean, I think he was a very wicked person. <laughs> I mean, you know, ruthless, unfeeling, um, uncharitable, um, egocentric, um, uh, prone to you know delusions of grandeur, which are often very. Destructive. You see it particularly you know, when eventually he arrives at the at the Philippines, and he kind of elbows the the uh, missionaries he has in the expedition out of the um, out of the way and takes on the task of evangelizing the yes. Philippines on his own in this mood of you know crazed religious exaltation, which is um, he was successful in doing so, wasn't he? Though getting the um, Filipinos to um, become Christians? No, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't achieve anything in that respect. I mean, he he gets a lot of people, you know, trying to go baptism and so on. But of course, they all forget about that as soon as they they've got rid of it. <laughs> and it's it's only really later, uh, you know, big Spanish missionary um, effort from the 1570s onwards that turns the Philippines into what it is now. You know, the biggest um, Christian country in in Asia, and one really of only two. Christian countries, but predominantly Christian countries in Asia, and the other being East um, Timor. But all that really happens later. You can give Magellan for being a you know, forerunner, if you like, and saying that you know he, he, he made the effort to evangelize. But since he knew practically nothing about Christianity himself anyway, <laughs> you know, one slightly wonders what these sort of sermons that he seems to have preached to the, the natives were all um, about, since in his own behavior, he never displayed any Christian charity that I'm aware of, whatever. <laughs> so um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm disinclined you know, to hail him as a, um, a great um, missionary. Well, I suppose you, know, you might perhaps give him some credit for um, for making the effort where that in itself would be terribly politically incorrect these days because we're very much against you know, people imposing their culture um, uh, on others. But in that respect, of course, he was simply a, a, a man of his time. Um, so, you know, intrepidity, um, this kind of willingness to struggle on against the odds, to keep going when, you know, failure was obvious. Um, and, and of course, in the end, I suppose he does die in a rather self-consciously heroic way. My view is that he contrived his own death and that he deliberately contrived it to follow the model of Roland's death of the Battle of Ronthus. Yes, he remembers the legend of Roland when he refuses to blow his horn to summon help because, you know, he's... He's determined to die, you know, face in the face of the enemy. I think Magellan deliberately set out to die in his final um, battle, and that, that was his, you know, last bid for the heroism that had eluded him all his life, and that as a dispossessed scion of a minor naval house besotted by the reading of chivalric tales of romance, that was what he'd always um, wanted, and that was really all the, the only option that was left to him was to die 
heroically. And I don't know, you know, then in some ways you, you, you can consider this to be, um, uh, to be, be admirable, I mean, foolhardy, slightly crazy perhaps. But yes, if, you, if you're educated in the chivalric tradition as, as he was and as most people of his social class and vocation at the time were, you, you would definitely see that as a positive. What about his skill as a navigator? Absolutely zero. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> I mean, he affected the... He, he, of course, had a sidekick who was one of the most um, extraordinary, I mean, kind of, if you like, advanced thinkers about navigation at the, um, at the time. But, but this, this one point that he and this guy are in sort of partnership to try and promote the idea. Um, of a voyage which they're going to undertake together. Uh, but this, like so many great geniuses, the sidekick goes completely insane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's literally certifiably mad by the standards of the time. And so he has to get left behind. And so Magellan really um, sets out with um, only the the professional pilots provided by the, the Spanish crown for his expedition to help him find his way around the, the seas. And broadly speaking, he leaves it to them. Occasionally, you know, he comes up with criticisms of what they're doing, but it's perfectly obvious that these criticisms are quite uninformed. And before he leaves, he writes, you know, a sort of navigational treatise um, about, you know, how he's going to get to the, the Spice Islands. Um, but all that is just cribbed from the, the, this mad sidekick whom he's, he's left behind. There's no, there isn't an original line um, in it. So I think really he knew nothing about navigation. Yeah. And it's worth remembering that this is a, an age where a lot of it was guesswork and chance anyway. I, mean, I, I suppose people are sort of reluctant to, 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 to put chance into historical narratives. Do you think that's fair? Um, well, I would certainly um, put a, put chance into it. I think in a way, you know, that um, history's complete mess. Uh, it has no direction. You know, there's nothing like progress or um, uh, cyclicism or um, uh, providence. You know, and all the things that people have said. You know, guide. History. There isn't really even causation because there's very rarely do you find two, you know, sort of events where you can say, well, X really caused Y, either because the evidence is insufficient or because there are lots of other possible explanations of why Y happened. Um, so I, you know, I think history. I mean, the reason I like it is a complete mess. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I'm reveling in the chaos of it. it I precisely. Think that's, that's right. Exactly right. It makes it much more human, much more kind of understandable and relevant to us as well. Yes, of course, it doesn't make it understandable in a scientific sense, but yes, it gives you the sort of gut feeling that you can see that that's how it was because that's what your own life's like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all live in this sort of. Um, spiral of uh, um, events or sort of, you know, I don't know, multiple helices in which, you know, nothing seems to be going in any predictable direction. And that's the reality of the, um, of the past. And obviously in, in Magellan's case, you know, everything that happened on that voyage was, was contingent on, you know, so much else that you, you can't honestly say. Except, I suppose, for once Magellan 
fights, struggles his way through the strait that now bears his name, and he arrives, you know, on the threshold of what we now call the Pacific. At that moment, I suppose, you know, it's his, uh, you can call it intrepidity or pig-headedness, it's his, his unwillingness to accept the sensible thing to do at that point was to turn around and get back. <laughs> um, that, that keeps him um, going. And I suppose that is one moment where you can say that um, um, a kind of human caprice really sort of impacted on the the course of the history of the um, uh, of the world, but normally you know you can't detect the course of history. No. You can't be quite so specific about what constitutes the the, the supposed um, turning points. So I think it's all you know pretty much of a mess. And except in that one that one moment, I think McGillan's life illustrates just how messy history is. And when you think, you know, what was he really attempting? He never thought about circumnavigating the world. He probably never really, was never really focused on getting to the Spice Islands, which was where the King of Spain nominally sent him. Magellan's own objective was the, um, was the Philippines. He didn't have, you know, the sort of vision of the world with which he's commonly um, credited. He, he, his, his notion of what the shape and size of the world was like was very close to that of Columbus and, and Vespucci. I think he was, was expecting the world to be very much smaller um, than it is. So already almost everything that people associate with him has become associable with him adventitious, you know, by by hazard, and it's got nothing to do with what he was trying to achieve or with what he had um, in mind. And there you can see, you know, how messy history is. <laughs> that um, uh, it, things really work out not only in ways that you can't predict in advance, but that it's very hard to make sense of retrospectively. It's <laughs> a wonderful place to finish. Philip, thank you very much indeed for speaking to me. Well, on the contrary, Sam, very kind of you to take interest. Thank you very much. Many thanks for listening, everybody. Now, please make sure this is not the last thing you do to interact with our brilliant podcast. Above all, please make sure that you check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page, where you will find some truly amazing videos bringing the maritime world to life in ways you have never seen before. There are fantastic 3D animations, hand-drawn maps of battles brought to life, figureheads animated, the world's best ship models filmed with the latest camera technology and incredible high definition. Please remember that the pod comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation. You can find them both online. The Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk where you can join the Society. I'd urge you all to do so for the amazing benefits that membership brings. And the History and Education Centre of the Lloyd's Register Foundation can be found at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. Well worth a visit. You can find the Society for Nautical Research on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And please tell your friends and please leave us a review and rating on iTunes. If you do so, I promise I will read it out.
confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.